everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy June. Happy uh, belated Memorial Day, uh, unofficial start of the summer. Um, happy, I guess we're officially in the Syracuse offseason now that, uh, unfortunately, women's lacrosse is over, although it would have been over anyway. Either way, win or lose, uh, not how we hoped, but, you know, another nice run for for Derry Gates thrills. Um, yeah, uh, happy deep NBA playoffs. Uh, shout out to the my Brooklyn Nets for absolutely steamrolling and then destroying the entire Boston Celtics franchise today. <laughs> um, lots of good, lots of lots of good things. A couple of bad things, but you know, no complaints. Yeah, we'll have. Uh, I think we might save some of the off-topic um, stuff for the second half of the podcast today. Um, notably, being the NBA playoffs. Um, which my team might not be a part of this time tomorrow. Um, TBD, um, the usual um, Mets, are they good talk, uh, which never has a definitive answer, uh, no matter what happens. It's June, and usually this is prime Mets are bad time, and the Mets seem to be good. We'll find out a lot about them in San Diego in the next four days, but, uh, you know, thumbs up for now. Yeah, I mean, really, this is this is like that peak – June to mid-July kind of dictates what kind of Mets season you're getting. Like if they're if they're above 500, then they're going to be feisty and interesting for the rest of it. And if they're under 500, um, things are going to go to hell until they decide around August 20th to start trying again. And then you're gonna and then you're gonna entertain all kinds of things from August 20th on until they're until they're mathematically eliminated. Yeah, I mean, I will say this team in the last couple of weeks uh, has one, like today's game, uh, when this being Wednesday, we're delayed, recording late this week. Um, like, uh, you know, we had our starting pitcher knocked out after a third of an inning in the first. So the fact that they won that game is like something that they wouldn't usually do, I would say. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess that's a bright side. Um, and the defense is actually good for the first time in like what feels like a decade. Uh, all of the day. Di- I mean, part of it was, like, everyone was in a slump and they were still kind of staying above water. And now, like, Lindor's coming out of a slump and McCann's starting to hit and Alonzo's starting to hit. And hopefully we get some of these pitchers back. So things are, are, are I'd say, optimistic in, in Mets' world for now. Um, and, yeah, then usually, like, late May, early June is when things, like, fall apart disastrously. And so far, we're, like, trending upward. So no complaints <laughs> here. And that is your weekly Mets talk. Uh, so we don't have to worry about it later. Um, no Marvel talk this week. Um, Andy filled in. Um, last week with quite a bit of Marvel talk. Uh, sorry to, uh, to to those that weren't a fan, but we will uh, we will trudge on. Well, the DC heads in the uh, <laughs> in our you, you, you get nothing for for for, for the uh, the the Batman stands. Random people who like random characters I don't know anything about. Um, apologies, but um, yeah. I guess the we, we kind of alluded to one of the big basketball happenings today. Um, we'll get to that later. Uh, the other big basketball happening that directly affects Syracuse, um, Coach K has decided this is his last season. Um, he's the second, uh, you know, tobacco road coach this year to say I'm done with this shit. Um, and and I think part of it is just the changing environment um, around you know, just recruiting and, and, and maintaining a program and all that. John Shire's the, uh, 
the uh, new guy in charge, which uh, which to me is a little bit surprising and also might offer some parallels into how Syracuse handles a similar search. If I'm a Duke fan, I'm not necessarily thrilled about that. Um, just like, you know, and you and I have been on record saying that, you know, while well, all respect to Jerry for what he was as a player, I can't say I'd be thrilled if Jerry was just handed the reins to this program um, on, on the Syracuse side. Um, on the other end for Syracuse narratives, um, if Jim just decides he's going to coach until forever, uh, there's a chance he catches Coach K's wins total, uh, which is fun. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. And the parallels are pretty obvious. Like we've been talking about basically since Hopkins left, uh, we've basically been without a an obvious successor to Bayheim. Um, Dude's never really had an obvious, obvious successor to Coach K. Um, every time there is one, they leave and are kind of bad <laughs> at wherever <laughs> they go. Um so, yeah, I mean, like, there's been some success. Cable did was, like, pretty good at Oklahoma when he had Blake Griffin, but then was pretty bad after that. Um, we'll see what happens with him at Pitt. Um, I think there's a little bit of a di- – I mean, probably more than a little bit. There's a difference between the situations at Duke and Syracuse and that allow um, Duke to kind of go down this road and be a little more sure of things. I just think Coach Jay has turned Duke into such a giant brand here, um, bigger than, you know – pretty much everyone in college basketball, you could argue maybe UNC is a better job. You can argue maybe Kentucky is a better job, but it's like pretty clearly top three or four, no matter how you cut it. Uh, Syracuse, you know, is floating under that. But also I think there's a pretty big line of demarcation between the tier where Duke is and the tier where, where Syracuse is. Um, so like, I think if you are Duke and you can, you, you give John Shire a shot and I, it, basically everything we've read so far today makes it sound like coach Tay basically made this call like unilaterally and like Johnny Dawkins and, um, Tommy Amaker were like considered, but it ultimately was Shire was the choice. Um, but I think if Shire is pretty like clearly not the guy after a year or two or like two or three, probably more realistically, like I don't know that it, it harms Duke like too much here. Uh, I think they could probably bounce back pretty easily. I think Syracuse would have a harder time um, overcoming like a really bad Jerry McNamara, a really bad uh, Autry um, tenure. Just because I don't think we're, we're just not as infallible as like the Duke brand has become. Now, maybe they prove us wrong and like, you know, one bad coach, you know, decimates them and maybe like, you know, Syracuse could, could rebound and still make a big hire. And I think that's, you know, relatively likely. I just think, I, I just think it'd be hard to ruin all of the goodwill that coach Tay has had there um, versus, you know, what, what Syracuse is able to do just as it's not the same situation. So um, it is fascinating. Um, and you, you know, it, there was like no good way to kind of replace coach Tay. Um, so I, I guess like, you know, you let him give his die the shot and, and it's kind of an experiment, but even in two or three years, I think they'll probably be okay if they have to go hire an outside person. Yeah, I agree there. Obviously just a different situation in, in, in many regards. Um, Duke's brand is, is one of the, you know, probably three strongest in all of college basketball. Um, they're one of the strongest in college athletics. Um, as, if you look across sports, uh, I, I would argue, I'd say, well, I wouldn't say Duke athletics is, but to Duke bas- Duke men's basketball compared to, compared to any other individual team on any campus um, would be one of the strongest brands um, around. I think Coach K obviously um, has had a pretty consistent winner there, uh, save a couple uh, small blips here and there. I, I think realistically, you know, five titles, the 12 Final Fours, like th- 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 there's a lot there um, for what Coach K's done. And Coach K, while he didn't, inherit you know a complete uh like dumpster fire at duke uh you know duke did make final fours before him and 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 i think realistically duke was 
probably in a more advantageous spot historically when K took over than um, than what Syracuse was uh, when Beheim took over. I still think based on location, based on just how much success and how much, and you know, they, they've managed an NBA pipeline and all that. Like there's a far stronger case for Duke to be able to withstand this, just like with UNC, like there's a far stronger case to be able to withstand, um, you know, Roy Williams departure. And, and it is super interesting. You look at like how, how Roy and Kay basically got to hand off to one of somebody who was like one of their guys, um, despite being, you know, really desirable jobs with really deep pockets um, versus like Syracuse. I know a lot of us, you know, you and I included want to at least like turn over every stone outside the tree. And, and, and I do think we can at least look at what's happened at UNC and Duke and maybe see some parallels that are informative, but also like a little worrisome because again, I do think the UNC and Duke situations are completely different than the one that Syracuse is in. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's kind of like where they're hopping on this, this run of, uh, especially in, in college basketball of like hiring within the family is becoming so in vogue and you know, it, it's worked out in some places, but obviously like Howard at Michigan was in the NBA forever. And he got a lot of experience before he got that, the, the Michigan job Shire's, you know, only been a coach for a couple of years. Uh, Jerry's only been a coach for a couple of years. Um, so it, it's, it, it makes it tough. I think everything has to be taken individually. Um, but yeah, I think Syracuse, I don't know. I still, I haven't really changed. Like if, if Jerry just starts like recruiting like crazy in the next couple of years before Bayham retires, assuming that's in the next year or two, I kind of think Bayheim also like is kind of thrilled that he probably got to outlast Roy and, and Kay. If you've like got him on a lie detector, like I'm sure he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't hate this, <laughs> that he's like the last one standing, but uh, assuming he doesn't retire next year. But I think, uh, I think if Jerry like starts killing it all of a sudden in recruiting or like there's like these very obvious uh, demonstrable factors that show that he's like the guy yeah then i'm fine with it it's just like we're just starting to we're just starting to hear like oh jerry was like key on this recruit and that recruit and like that's not to knock him it's a you know it's not even like the timeline is like out of control like it's not like he's been slacking really it's just like i i'm so nervous about rushing someone to this head coaching job that isn't ready for it um it, it's not that i don't want like jerry McNamara to be the head coach i think that that'd be an awesome story in a in a you know vacuum it's just i don't think syracuse can afford to just like kick it down the line and, and hope for the best. Uh, and I think Duke and UNC just have a lot more leeway. So um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think uh, well, at least at one more year of gym, maybe probably two if Buddy stays and I assume Buddy will, Buddy will stay the, the length of time that he is allowed to just based on everything we know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a really fascinating day for college basketball in general and basketball as a whole with the Celtics stuff. Like that was a crazy couple hours there. Just a uh, real, a real change of the dart happening in front of our eyes. And like, you knew it was going to happen, but it, it still feels strange to it, just like it felt strange with Roy a couple, a couple months ago. So because it was so out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like you remember when we first got to the ACC, um, you know, the, the talk was um, having like four quote unquote legendary coaches and, and with, with, you know, Beheim and Patino uh, Williams uh, and coach K you look at like all those old photos of the big East coaches and like, they're all gone. Um, realistically, like Beheim is going to be the last man standing. And like, like you said, I mean, it, it's, it's unlikely he doesn't feel some sort of satisfaction in that, but it does kind of hone in on, okay, like how much longer, and I'm not even like pushed him out the door necessarily. It's just more, how much longer is it going to last? And, and realistically, like it, it's clear that between the sanctions and Mike Hopkins departure, uh, that, that, that we've seen a, 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 
diminished talent level. I wouldn't say bad talent level, obviously. The team still succeeded in the tournament. They've still been able to win plenty of games. Um, but I'd say the diminished talent level relative to what we saw, um, you know, kind of in the uh, like 08 to 2014 era, like there's definitely, it's, it definitely is harder and harder for, for Syracuse in its current form to compete in the, in the top third of the ACC. And like, are fans okay with that? I know we've heard like different, you know, pieces of feedback from um, recruits who, you know, discuss Syracuse as kind of like, you know, it's not the special thing it used to be um, from an offer standpoint. It's just another ACC program. Like if, if, if this sort of slide continues for, and I say slide, you know, relative to Syracuse's long-term success, not relative to most other program trajectories, but like if this sort of thing continues for another five years where we're kind of like a bubble team every year, and then, you know, a team that continually sits in the bubble gets handed off to someone like that. That's a very different thing than what UNC is doing and what Duke's doing. And like, yes, both of those teams have missed the tournament um, in, you know, like recent ish years, but at the same time, like there's just not this, there, there, there just isn't this like fear of not being able to bounce back. Like you saw what happened when Hopkins took over for nine games, you know, as you went uh, four and five, like fans seemed to like turn on the program in like record time. Everybody was like halfway out the door. Uh, and it, it just, it, it didn't, I'm not saying that that would absolutely be the case um, if, if whoever took over for Bayheim struggled, but I think that that there is a a bit of a fickleness to the fan base. And, 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 and again, I'm included in that fan base as are you like there's a fickleness to this fan base. And, and uh, I think overall, like a, a cynicism to it, that, that the UNC and Duke fan bases may not have um, that, that, that puts a, a larger imperative. And I think, you know, obviously the uh, financial factors, just location, um, the overall like population in the area. I think all that factors into like, there's just a lot that, that that stacked against Syracuse to be able to succeed in a similar way. doesn't mean it can't happen, but, but there's more stacked against them than there is at Duke and UNC, obviously. Yeah. Like you could probably argue, maybe, maybe not UNC, but with Duke, you can probably argue that like SU basketball means more to the area than Duke basketball because Duke's obviously in an area with like all these schools. They have NC state and UNC right in their backyard. They're kind of like a national fan base versus a local fan base from everything I've ever heard from anyone in North Carolina. Um, but they, but they also have the advantages of being in like one of the growth areas in the country and having, you know, being an elite school and everything. And then, you know, to coach Chase credit, like obviously we heard a lot today about how he doesn't want to adjust to like the modern game. And I think I read that and like took it as like a, he doesn't want to deal with players being paid. And then some other people point out, it's like, no, he just like doesn't feel like changing again. And like, that's kind of fair. Um, not that he's like a post, but I think he's actually come out in favor of like NIL. Um, and I kind of get why, like, even if he, even if he doesn't like morally, uh, oppose like the open transfer portal, like he probably doesn't want to have to deal with like learning how to do this all over again. And he's already done that once with the one and done where he went like kind of snapped his fingers and he went from like a guy who coached almost exclusively three and four year players to like rivaling coach Tal overnight in the one and done thing. So, and I think that kind of like indicates. I mean, there's probably a very good chance that Bayham feels the same way. He's been a little slower on and a little clunkier on the messaging with it. Um, kind of like, he, I mean, Jim, Jim always does like the thing where he like disagrees with something and then like eventually he'll, you know, see where the, the, the tide is going and then he'll come around on it and just like a day or two later um, or two, a day or two late. Uh, but eventually he gets there. 
Um, but I, I would be surprised if Beheim didn't feel like some of those similar things that were reported today uh, from K's side. Where like, even if it's not like he's opposed to these things, it's just like, you know, I've been doing this job for 50 years. I don't want to like figure out like the fifth like uh, version of this. I'm just going to like step down. So I'm fine to do it now. So, um, but also like, I, I, I think with the, the comparison of like the Syracuse fan base and the Syracuse reaction to like how things have gone in recent years, like it's definitely... Uh, I, I just think there's there's a little more there might be a little more writing um, on what SC basketball is and like SC basketball not being a consistent top twenty to twenty five program and making deep tournament runs and filling the dome with thirty thousand people like that would really I mean that would really hurt the school and really hurt the the whole thing and like not that Duke doesn't need what it what it has with the basketball program but um, I think it's a little less regionally. Uh, yeah. oriented with the Duke fan base like Duke fans are like the people who go there plus like the people who just choose that as their college basketball program. And like, yeah. it's, not, super, it's not millions, high millions of people in the tri-state area. Who are, yes. Who, lots, who are, lots of kinetic cutters and Long Islanders. And like Syracuse has those people too. Um, and Syracuse has like that kind of like, they're the New York team thing that like we make fun of, but also like there is a part of like, there is some truth in that, but also like upstate it's Syracuse everywhere. Like that's just the thing. Like I, you know, I was talking to someone from Albany who was down in South Carolina where I spent the weekend and like they were asking about Syracuse. I don't even Syracuse and they went to USC. But um, it's just like it's far more ingrained in the culture upstate than I think Duke basketball is versus UNC basketball. Totally. UNC basketball is massive. Um, Duke is just a much different thing. So I, I kind of understand why there's like so much frustration from the Syracuse in base and like we share in it. Um, and frustration coming from both sides and arguments and like the really heatedness that we've seen um over the last couple of years and especially this year so yeah i mean it's gonna be super fascinating to see what happens when we have this our turn at this and it, i mean it's pretty clear it's gonna be in the next i mean i think even three years is probably too much i think probably by the end of the 2023 season yeah i could definitely see it i mean realistically like who knows how like nobody really knows except jim uh when he wants to call it a day i, I think he'll do a roy too i don't think he'll do it I like Kay's dead. Kay's under his like Derek Jeter farewell tour, which is exactly which is exactly what I would have pegged him to like <laughs> want. Versus, they have to pull the Roy. He's going to he's going to coach out of the year, and then like a couple weeks later, he's gonna be like, "Oh, I'm done." By the way, oh, absolutely, and and, and you know what? I I think too, like the, the the perilous part here for like Syracuse fans and just for Syracuse place in college basketball too is like Roy and. Roy and Kay and Duke and UNC, like th- those legacies are already cemented. I-, I-, I think what's always like, like barring some sort of surprise national championship the next couple of seasons uh, where, you know, Jim coaches Buddy and Jim to a title, which amazing if it happens and, and he retires on the spot if so. But like realistically, like, and this it gets to the crux of like the Syracuse fan experience and something I hit on on Tuesday in an article, like, this legacy, unless we suddenly become a behemoth, the legacy of Syracuse men's basketball is never going to be concluded in a satisfactory way for anyone, detractors or, or those in support. Um, and, and I think that that's something that weighs on Jim heavily because it's obviously tied to his own legacy, is that ultimately he could retire with more wins than K if he just sticks around till, till for another five-plus seasons. And yet that legacy would still being incomplete too many. And I think he'd be aware of that. And that would, I feel like that, that, that would haunt Syracuse fans. I think to some extent, like it would have an effect on him. I, I, I just think that ultimately 
the person who takes over for Jim is the one who decides what that legacy is. And I think that's what, that's what kills all of us. And I think that's what gets, that's what gets at Jim with, with regard to, you know, eventual retirement. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like really tough because obviously people will point to just the one title and after, and it's, it's both like fair and unfair. Yeah. He has one title. There aren't that many coaches with one title. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's a pretty small list. Um, and just because like Jay Wright got his second or whatever, like Jay Wright's allowed to like, ultimately be better than Jim Beheim, and that's fine. And, like, you, I'm, not, I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying, like, you can have the argument there. It's okay. It doesn't take away from Beheim, But it does sting that, like, you have your 87 and your 2010 and your 2013. Um, it just, it, like, stings more that they got so close so many other times because that kind of, like, both indicates that you are, like, the elite or, like, second-tier program that you that you purport to be but also you just couldn't quite get that second title that like really solidifies it and makes it very hard to argue against um and i think that's kind of like what leads to a lot of this um here's a question sorry uh, one question i have like uh, why is it that that izzo doesn't get the same side eye oh that's super fair i i i think bayheim's resume is like pretty far superior to izzo's like i think well especially head to head but (laughs) Head-to-head, clearly. But also, like, they have one title each. Beheim has beat them head-to-head in big spots. Beheim has overachieved a fair amount in the tournament. There have been times, obviously, where he's lost early, and that's, you know, both things weigh in here. But, like, Michigan State's done the same thing, and Beheim's been at it longer. And, I, yeah, it's like, I got there was, like, that stretch where Izzo was, like, kept on coming close and making, like, these deep runs. But, like, that's what Beheim's been doing now. And, like, those other teams are better. But Bayheim's had plenty of good teams. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I'd have to like look at it further to really like cement this, but like it's at least they're at least on the same place. Like they're 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 in the same group. And I'm probably being a little bit biased, but I would probably take Bayham off the top of my head ahead of Izzo. At the very least, like you can't you cannot say Tom Izzo's in a different league than Jim Bayheim. Like they're oh, they're in the, the exact same tier. And, yeah. and people act like Tom Izzo is like this incredible like top five, top whatever coach of all time. It's like, if you want to say that, then Beheim's in that argument with you right there. Well, Izzo's had a pretty, like, sizable fade here over... Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know what? Like, honestly, like, the thing that does that won't, probably won't get talked about for a bit is the, the, the post, what was it, 2015, when, um, when Kay and Izzo were in the Final Four together. Like, since then, you look at the tournament returns for both, there's been a sizable, like, step back. And it's not to say that the two of them didn't make deep runs, but considering the amount of talent, especially Michigan State of recent vintage um, in the last 10 years or so, the level of talent that's been on that team. Yeah, absolutely. I would take over the last 10 years in particular, Bayheim over Izzo because of, of what Bayheim's done with his level of talent and what Izzo has done with his level of talent. Um, it, I, I think it's a no-brainer that you take Jim. And that, do, that, that does present like an interesting argument. Like, is it better to kill it in recruiting, which is a, it's probably recruited a little better than Beheim in the last, in that stretch, but you don't make the runs or is it better to not have as much talent, but make the deep runs without it? Like, I guess you take the results over the recruiting, but like the recruiting is probably, it's probably a, a little more uh, replicable and it probably indicates better future results. Um, but it's, it's kind of right. fascinating because like they've ultimately had like similar levels of success. Obviously Beheim's sure. had deeper runs more recently. Um, but I do wonder how you take. It. I think I guess you probably like. I don't know. It's the same thing with like us. Like, do you do you take the deep tournament runs, or would you rather be consistently 
really good in the regular season and in hopes that eventually that will bear fruit where you're having like the 2009 to 2013, you know, every year you're a threat in the tournament. I mean, we were that team realistically, like, yeah, like from 09 to 13, we were that team. It only paid off for final four birth once we were that team, arguably from 86 to 91. And, and, and that paid, and that only paid off for the final four birth once. Like, I, I think that's, I think that's really the haunting part is like, you know, Michigan state, yes, they've made some surprise final fours. They, 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 Izzo at one point, like seemed to perfect, you know, getting a, a an under the radar team to the final four before it was like a thing that became a, a fixture of March um, in the last decade. But like of late with more talented teams and with, you know, a, a, a slew of really talented guys, most notably probably Jaron Jackson, like, like, he hasn't gotten it done. I, I guess my question is like, without knowing future results, so like you, right. you do not know what's going to happen. Would you rather be the team? Would you rather say, I would rather the five years where my team was like a top three or four seed based on the regular season play, but couldn't get past the Sweet 16 or only made it to the Sweet 16 once or twice? Or would you rather be us where it's like the regular season is going to be like really, really annoying <laughs> and really uh, you might miss a tournament half the time. Uh, it's really frustrating. There's stupid stuff happens every year, but you are going to occasionally make a run to the final four. And either in either situation, none of that has any impact on what happens. You could, you could go to the final four and win it all next the following year or not. I don't know. I'm always, I think like, it's hard to not take the deep tournament runs because that's all anyone remembers. But I think in terms of like my own personal enjoyment, I enjoyed being really good all year and then just kind of taking my chances in the tournament more because you weren't just constantly frustrated by, by everything. Not that stuff, stuff doesn't happen every year for Syracuse anyway, but I really enjoyed like winning 27 games in the season, not having to sweat out the, the slush and Sunday, uh, being a high, a high seed, and then really seeing a pathway towards a deep tournament run versus just being like, well, uh, I guess we may just see if the magic happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and honestly, I, I think the, it, it's the day-to-day frustration as a fan. It's the, it's the conversation around college basketball that completely hammers you um, and, and, and wears on you. I know with someone that covers the team, it, it, it hammers and wears on me. And I much more enjoyed, uh, you know, just regular seasons with minimal losses. And then like, you know what, then if you fall short in the tournament, you, you deal with that bullshit for a week and then walk away from it and then you're done. And then, yeah, and, then it, and, and the next March you get, you get, you get, you know, razzed about it for a bit that you didn't go as far as you're supposed to do for like a week. And then you move on. Like, this is this is a much worse fate, admittedly. Even if the even if the ceiling might be higher on it, I think yeah. I, I think for me, just in sports in general, and we talked about this a lot. Like I'm always of the mind that you take the situation in which you are setting yourself up for success. Like we talked about the women's lacrosse team. Like they are always in the mix. They haven't won it yet. They haven't won it this year. Even though they, you know, you know, maybe if they didn't have those injuries, they would have. Um, but you're in the mix every year. And even if you fall a little short, like the process, it was like, it's like process versus results. Like the results are going to be what they are, but you want to have the good process to try to, to give yourself the best chance. So I think I still take those because like, and also at the same time, while these surprise runs have been a blast and I've thoroughly enjoyed them, um, I still had just as much fun, if not more in 2013, when we made the final four as like a top four seed. And like, yes, the, the upset of Indiana was an upset, but it, like we were a, you know, at least a kind of trendy national title pick. Like it wasn't like we came out of nowhere. So um, I thought that was just, I mean, it also helps that I went to like that whole second weekend and the final four that year, but I enjoyed that run as much, if not more, I'd probably say as much as 2016. Like it's it's like the, the fact that we came out of like 
the bubble off the bubble basically to make these dramatic runs is awesome and I love it. Um, I don't think it makes it better than like being a one seed and doing it. Um, I think I'll, you know, at worst they're even. So yeah, yeah I, I think that's where I am. But I, I get, I get why people are super stoked on like the crazy runs. It's fun to be a story. And when you're a one seed during the final four, you're not really a story. You're just kind of like doing what's expected of you. But still fun, the, yeah, it's still, it's still a lot of fun. It's fun to win 32 games in a regular season in a season. And it's fun to like have a more realistic chance at the national championship. So I think I'm still there, but I, I mean, I get the debates. It just, I think I'm there and that's why like, it's been frustrating to be a Syracuse fan these last five years, even if like the end game result, like if you're just looking at tournament results, you're like, okay, well, it's been pretty good. And that's, I'm not saying it's not, but I would like to be in a situation where you don't have to sweat it out on Selection Sunday and like people are picking you in the, win the national championship because you very well may. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think we have to necessarily belabor it more, but I, I do agree. I think, again, it, it, it's much easier to take one weekend of disappointment than it is to take a, a, a zigzagging bit of emotions for months and months on end that beat the hell out of you. Um, and, and, and then eventually you're going to get that disappointing result anyway at some point in March. I also but, don't love streaming at people on Twitter. Like, I don't really like having the Twitter fights. I'd much rather, much rather just be like Kumbaya with all my fellow series fans. Yeah, um, no, we, we we all sort of hate each other for the last like five years, which is yeah, is a is, is perhaps true. a national theme and not just a Syracuse related one. <laughs> That's true. But but walking away from that cliff, Dan, what have you been <laughs> drinking? Um, yeah, a, a fair amount. Um, it was Memorial Day weekend. I was down south uh, celebrating with some friends for the my first real trip trip. I mean, I went to a thing in Charlotte a couple months like a month ago, but this is my first like fun trip. Um. Didn't do a lot of like exotic drinking. I had some uh, some stuff from Steel Hands down in, in the Columbia area in South Carolina. Uh, they're always really good. Had their tropical IPA and their regular juicy hazy IPA, which are both very good. Um, got into some wicked weed stuff. Had their pernicious IPA. Um, and then I think the most interesting thing, and uh, I had I don't know where my friends got this. Is it's a Virginia brewery? But I had a Wanton uh, Triple Sour IPA from uh, the Answer. Uh, with uh, raspberry, marshmallow, and blueberry. Uh, really delicious, creamy uh, milkshake IPA. So really enjoyed that. Um, and then uh, lots of lots and lots of like uh, yinglings and uh, also lots of seltzers. I think, uh, you know, where we try not to seltzer judge here. Um, I think I'm on high noon as my as my number one, if we're doing, if you don't sell. I know it's not, it's not the, uh, quite the same as some of the others, but uh, yeah, I think, I think high noon is my, my, my current clubhouse leader in the seltzer world. Very nice. I actually did not have any seltzer this weekend, which was because uh, I was not home. Uh, so, so that's most of it. Uh, on this end, I had a bunch of stuff. I had a 10th anniversary IPA from Smog City. had a Auto of Hermes. Uh, I'm assuming they're going with Hermes and not Hermes. Could be either. Who knows? Modern Times is a fruit of Berliner Weiss. Really, really good. Nice and light. Uh, real tropical uh, forward. I had Green Futures was a pretty mild uh, New England IPA from Modern Times. Um, I was down at Pizza Port in San Clemente for the first time in a couple of years. Really, really enjoyed that and had uh, satisfaction from them. It was a pale ale, had uh, Abby May. It was really, really good. Uh, West Coast IPA, uh, definitely a great example of the style, as I always prefer. Um, Coastal Access, another West Coast IPA from them. Um, was at a Belgian bar and had a... Bavic Super Pills, always enjoy that one um, on draft. And from Topa Topa Brewing, uh, Spectro, New England IPA. And then from Artifacts, uh, down in Orange County, had a Trigger Finger, um, and the Seagull has landed um, IPAs. Also had a, a bottle of Luponic Distortion uh, from Firestone Walker. So eventful holiday weekend. 
Yeah, we are certainly in the in the heat of it. So happy. Hope everyone enjoyed this past weekend. Agreed. Um, the one thing I did not enjoy about this past weekend was uh, unfortunately the Syracuse women's lacrosse loss. Pretty rough go of it. Uh, Boston College kind of established their style of play uh, pretty early, and by halftime we we're only down. Um, I believe it was a goal. I could be wrong. Um, it was very close at the half. Yeah, it was a close game at the half, but then you know BC kind of pulled away um, the initial minutes of the second half. Uh, things got unfortunate, and then we just kind of you know dropped the game by what was it, sixteen eleven was the final, I believe. I do that not have right. in front of me. I do not have it in front of me. That is entirely my fault. I will double check that before confirming it. Sixteen to ten. Sorry. Um, yes. So yeah. Rough game overall. Again, BC did what they wanted. I did not want to face. Oh, we, we even said last week when I was on with Andy. Um, while it's it, while UNC posed a difficult challenge, facing a team a fourth time all season also seemed like a difficult challenge. Having you know losing seven two in the second half, um, not ideal. Just having I, I feel like BC's defense just really like clamped down. Um, BC's offense obviously like you know came out firing and thanks to the garbage truck for making a guest appearance Um, but a whole bunch of penalties for SU unfortunately in the second half um, as well just again rough day Um, not the way we wanted to end the season but that doesn't take away from just how impressive this team was all year and how they overcame so much adversity you know losing two All-Americans losing just so much talent and having to deal with so much just as athletes in general um, this past year. And yet, you know, really played admirably all season. Most of their losses like were to actually all of their losses were to teams that made the final four uh, this year, which is pretty impressive. And like this program clearly like they took a step forward this year because they didn't win at all, but they, they clearly got themselves right back to where we thought they were a couple of years ago. And it took like a couple of years off from which, great overall in my book yeah i think they really remain like re set themselves as like they are going to be one of the year in year out factors um in women's lacrosse and that's you know i don't, I don't want to harp on it but like that's really where you want to be i think they will break through at some point i think they would have broken, broken through this year had it not been for injuries to some of their best players and the fact that they were just you know once on the doorstep um i think if they hadn't played bc i think if they had done another matchup they probably would have won it's really tough to beat they had beaten that team, what, like two and one against them this year before the championship. Um, it was uh, just like tough to, it, it's tough to to win a game against a team that is that familiar with you. So yeah, I, it, it's hard not to be proud of them. I thought it was a, it's disappointing to lose in the national championship that many times, honestly, or, or come that close so often. But uh, I think John wrote for the site, like it's, it, you can't say that the season was anything but a resounding success, especially because it wasn't like they, they just kept on, it wasn't like they like did like the early nineties build thing. Like they did, kind of take a little bit of a of a decline for a couple of years there and a bounce back and be right there at the end, I think is a good sign. So, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we're there back there next year and and uh, to make another run at it. Um, I I will be, I, I don't know, I will, uh, I'll be very, very surprised if at the end of the day, uh, Jake doesn't win a title with this group at some point soon. So um, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, they just keep knocking on the door. I think this was clearly a golden opportunity without UNC in the way. Um, you know, SU for in women's lacrosse has really kind of, you know, come running up against um, a couple different like mini dynasties between UNC, North uh, Northwestern, um, you know, Maryland. Like it hasn't been the easiest uh, place to break through, but they've clearly been one of the you know the best 
uh, teams in the country um, for much of the last decade. It's just a bummer. I, I do hope that, that that next year, with seems like a lot of folks back, um, that that this is a team that once again you know should be picked to to be in the final weekend, and, and I'm really hoping can finally secure that title. And, and again, the fact that they didn't this year, while it's a disappointment, uh, you know, doesn't take anything away from the season they had, um, and, and really the the great job that both the the, the players did, and, and and you know, uh, Gary Gate really put in. Uh, you know, John again, John said it on the site, but his best coaching job this year um, and some really impressive work considering everything that was stacked up against them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, they'll, they'll, they should, I, I hope that this year and how close they got, even considering a lot of uh, adversity um, galvanizes them and hopefully we get a lot of them back for next year. And it's not, you know, it's not like uh, you have to worry about the NBA or the NFL probably. So I think a lot of them will take the opportunity get, you know, an extra year towards their degrees and um, a pretty good one to win a national championship. So fingers crossed on that. Obviously, Same. everyone's welcome to do whatever they want to do, but <laughs> I, I think I think it's more likely that we have like an entire team come back for uh, another run at a title when they were that close than maybe in another sport. So, hoping so because I know it, it it didn't work out that way for the men's lacrosse team um, this year, unfortunately, uh, yes. for a variety of reasons. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully on the men's team, it's just like we have some new faces and some fresh, some fresh like good vibes coming in. <laughs> we just see the flush whatever happened this year and, and get, get back to 2019 slash move forward. Um, hopefully we have some good recruiting news coming in the pipeline. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that uh, hopefully good news ahead for the SU men's program. Um, but for now, I really want to close out. Uh, we have a few minutes left here. Um, didn't want to talk NBA since we avoided it uh, at the top of the show. Um, Dan, I know you're excited. I'm petrified. Um, the Knicks are currently tied at 21 at the end of the first quarter against the Atlanta Hawks, a team we are better than, but for some reason we don't know how to beat because Julius Randle and RJ Barrett decided not to show up to the playoffs this year. Uh, it's been pretty great. I am, uh, I'm, I'm fairly annoyed despite the fact that I understand the Knicks are playing with house money. Um, but I, I will leave that where it is. How do you feel about um, the Nets after, after beating and then and just ending the Celtics franchise? <laughs> uh, pretty good. Um, it, it, it wasn't lost on me uh, today with all the everything that happened with the Celtics, which if people missed, Danny Ainge, who has been the uh, basically the GM, I forget what his actual title is, but um, the, the, the Jim Beheim of, of, of uh, director of basketball operations. Yes, I think he's the executive basketball director of basketball operations. Stepped down. He'd been there since 2003. He was the architect of the 2008 uh, title team. And little um, else. And well. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they've been they've been like consistently good the whole time. Have, and a lot of that been. a lot of that involved the more the more recent uh, iterations involved fleecing the Nets in one of like the all time bad trades, which isn't Nets' fault. It's not Danny Ainge's fault. Um, it was the like two administrations of the Nets ago, uh, their fault. So the fact that the Nets uh, a still found a way to rebuild, which is kind of miraculous. I know the Nets have a lot going for them. They're in a trendy city. They have uh, a super wealthy owner. They have like really really good stable front office. Uh, that even when it makes a bold move, uh, like firing Kenny Atkinson, it works out. They they just like know what they're doing. Even so, the fact they were able to come back and be, become uh, an NBA title contender uh, this quickly from that, um, despite really not having any NBA draft luck or anything. Um, obviously, they've drafted pretty well, but late in the draft, they haven't had high picks. Um, is is miraculous, and it's all about having star players who want to go there. But you still have to like build something to get the star players who want to go there. So the fact that we we took uh, the Celtics' best player, who uh, I think Celtics fans should probably start to acknowledge that they were better off if they could figure out how to have Kyrie Irving be happy there, than uh, than than not. 
Um, <laughs> and then, and then and kowtow to a bunch of 22-year-olds, yeah. Yes. And, like, and those are the players. And obviously Jalen yeah. Brown being hurt made a difference, but also the team was bad when Jalen Brown was playing. Um, so, yeah, just the Nets beat them up and down the court. It went to five games, but, but every game that the Nets won was a blowout. Um, that got, like, closer at the end. Uh, the Nets did whatever they wanted with that team. Uh, Brad Stevens is now taking over Danny Ainge's role, which is uh, – Brad Stevens, I think, is a really good quote-unquote basketball mind. Um, I don't know that he's qualified to be uh, a GM of a major franchise. No, this ends poorly. Um, now they're going to hire someone. Maybe it works out. They have a lot of – like, the subs are in a decent place. It's just like it's hard to to see like all of this happening and say like, oh, this is all good. Maybe it works out, but it's it's like a big risk that I think has gone kind of unacknowledged. Um, so, yeah, the fact that that's kind of like – it seems like this next series, maybe it would have happened anyway, but they got shellacked uh, in four or five games and won a very narrow game in the fifth uh, at home. So, yeah, uh, it was uh, pretty, pretty nice. I enjoyed it. Um, the, the East seems to, with, with the Joel Embiid injury, which uh, the Philly, the uh, Sixers are downplaying. I, I don't know if he has a torn meniscus. I know it's not a serious, serious injury, but I can't imagine just like pop, bouncing back in a week. I didn't, I didn't um, believe in them anyway. I, I, and they I might think get, I'll... I mean, the Wizards might stretch this out anyway. Like, even if they, I think the Sixers will still win the series, but the Wizards might like take them to six or seven games. I honestly, like, I, I thought before the the playoffs, it was really going to come down to whoever won um, the Nets Bucks series. And I think the Bucks, the way they played in the first round um, against the Heat, just bludgeoned them to death. If, if, for for those that don't want the Nets to succeed, uh, the Bucks are your best chance of doing that, especially given how the West is also kind of in shambles. Yeah. So the Nets Bucks is going to be, I think, kind of a bloodbath. Um, I'm confident. But the Bucs are like the one team that played the Nets really well this year. All three games, the Bucs won two of three. All three games were really close. Um, one of those games, the Nets win was without Kyrie. It was a, a 125-123 win. The Bucks beat the Nets um, without Harden one time. And then the Bucks beat the Nets uh, without... Yeah, so the two Bucks wins were with no Harden. Um, the Nets win was without Kyrie. None of the games were with all three, which... It was probably goes without saying because the Nets only had eight games with all three <laughs> in the regular season. But like having all three is a big thing. Like they look like they just don't want to like one stretch every game where they score in what feels like twelve possessions in a row, and it's just unstoppable. Well, it, and, it, it, it's the, it's the Hamptons Five shit. It, it, it's the same general where like you'd put the you'd put that lineup out there, and then it didn't matter what the other team did; they were going to get bludgeoned, and that was it. Like if, if you if you couldn't create distance with that group not on the floor then you were screwed. And the Nets bench plays just well enough to like contribute. Like Joe Harris had a monster game in the series. Um, they get just enough from like Brown and Claxton and, and Shamit where like they can afford to like keep those guys relatively fresh, but it's, it's, I mean, we're just seeing it's either it's, it's impossible to have defenders for all three of them for, for all three of Kyrie Durant and Harden. Um, Durant is just like the magical elixir that makes everything work because he doesn't need the ball in his hands at all. So then it's just, you're just trading, is it Tyree's night or is it Harden's night? They, they seem to, I mean, for, for two guys who, you know, fair, pretty fairly, I think, have gotten knocked for, like, maybe not being the, the least selfish players at times, um, they certainly seem to be doing what they can to, to fight against that in this series because Tyree looked just as happy storing, like, 15 points in one of those games as he did when he, you know, had his, like, 29 or 30-point game. And they just seem to trade off, like, by the night or by the quarter. Uh, which one is going to be like the guy who is just handling the ball all the time and and uh, and really taking it to the opposing defenses? So I just don't think there are very many teams that can defend all three. I think the Bucks might be the closest, um, but I, I still feel really good. And it'll be disappointing if they don't beat the Bucks. I think like it's very fair to say the expectations are 
our title or honestly with how the West looks right now, I think it's title or bust with the Lakers, Agreed. not like just being a shell. And I don't think the Lakers are even going to make it out of the Sun Series. Agreed. Um, well, we'll have to call it here, but I think there'll be plenty more next week um, when some of these series get wrapped up. Um, Dan, anything else before we depart? If the Nets win the title, we're just going to have Andy on. It's just going to be like a blow fest. We're going to do like a three-person. Yeah, I'm, I, no, I'm going to leave. You don't even have to show up. I, I, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Andy are going to be like, wasn't it fun when Durant hit the three from 32 feet? And I'll be like, yeah, wasn't it fun when Harden uh, did a 360 somehow and then had a triple-double with like 37, 12, and 11? And if no, and, and if the Utah Jazz win the, the title, then, then then I force both of you to stay on the podcast. <laughs> well, well, I regale you with a year-by-year history of the Utah Jazz. Yep. Anyway, uh, that was Tan. I'm John. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Orange.